podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You're listening to Uncovered with Barat Sundarason and Jared Kimber on the 99.94 Network. We are going to talk about, well, the two test matches that I finished, I suppose, is where we will start. Uh, and then we will get on to any other nonsense that Barrett wants to talk about. But uh, <laughs> what did you think? Well, actually, here's the first question. How much of England's batting did you see? And then what did you think of what you saw? Um, I saw only the highlights, I'll be honest. And the that whole was pretty much the first inning. Exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. It felt like uh, you were watching the highlights even when it was, you were watching it live. So, obviously, you know, the timings didn't help. But every time, I'll, I'll say this, like every time we went for the post-match press conference downstairs at the Perth Stadium, they would have the Rawalpindi test going on, uh, on on TV. I mean, all those, there were many television screens like there are always in every Australian venue. And whoever was doing the press conference, whether it was a West Indian or an Australian player, they would all, they would look longingly at <laughs> what was happening there in terms of just how easy batting, batting was made to look. Uh, and, you know, and somewhere, let's face it, uh, Imam Ulhaq and Abdullah Shafiq are still batting against Australia. That test match is yet to end, which started in March uh, earlier this year. And, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, Manas Labushain, I remember, came in uh, after he had made like the 100 in the second innings and everybody was talking about his luck. And as soon as uh, he finished answering it, he just like looked at the television screen and said, uh, oh, look, luck hasn't always gone my way. Uh, I still can't believe I didn't get to 100 on that pitch, on that pitch. Flatty. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was, I, I will be honest, I, I've been a little uh, bit of a cynic with this whole baseball thing. A, because um, I like to take my own sweet time before I jump on any bandwagon. And also, you know how it is with uh, anything that England do on or off the field with sport in particular. They just hype it to such an extent after a point, you just, yeah, yeah you, you you want them to calm down. <laughs> but, mm. well, after the test match win that they produced in Rawalpindi, I guess even I might have to jump onto that bandwagon. And then, I will say this though, I won't call it basketball, I'll call it Stokes balls, because I think it eventually comes down to Ben Stokes and what, like the amazing things he can do, right? As captain and uh, as bowler, especially uh, what he did, the way he kind of set up that win for them. It all came down to Stokes and his balls. <laughs> it's interesting because I'm not sure this proves baseball any more than before. As in, yeah. we know that it will work in, in extreme circumstances when the ball is flat in England and when the pitches are flat in, in Pakistan. We still saw it not really working at South Africa when the ball yeah. was being around everywhere, right? Which is fine. In some ways, maybe that's all that matters. If they could get some wins from from the games they weren't getting wins from before, and they do it in yeah. a way that suits their game plan, and then outside of that, they could split those other games. They'll still be a really good team. So I've got no problem with that. I don't think it. Well, I don't think any other team can copy it. So th this whole thing of uh, of this is a new style of cricket, we saw a lot of people try and copy Australia and the West Indies, and no one did. Right? Sometimes it just is is perfect from that uh, perspective, but. You know, the, the question I had is what other team that we've ever seen could have won this test match, right? 
And there aren't that many occasions when a team wins a test match and you think, I'm not sure another team could have won this. So, for instance, yeah. I, there was one, uh, you'll remember the ground, I forget the ground, but uh, the West Indies test against Australia when Brian Lara made the runs. All right. Uh, Antigua recreation. recreation yeah. Was it there? there? Was it the wreck? I couldn't remember if it was there. You, yeah. you, I remember seeing that and just thinking, I'm not sure there's another team that could lose as many wickets and have one batter do what he did against that kind of an attack, you know. Oh, in, in... you you mean the 99 one, uh, Barbados, when they won by one wicket? Yeah, yeah, that one, sorry, yeah. Oh, uh, 153, not out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the 153 Barbados, one yeah. out. And, and I was thinking of things like, do you remember when Australia beat England at Adelaide when Warren yeah. um, changed the game? And I was like, yeah. I don't know, Murali maybe could have done that. Uh, mm. So so you don't have that. But the the Lara one was the one that I thought about. There's probably some West Indies ones before our time. And maybe, you know, there's also the... Uh, you know, there's uh, the MCG test uh, in, what was it, 79 or 80, when Safra's, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. basically not invented reverse swing, but it was the first time we really saw it at test level. You know, there aren't that many times when you look at a test and go, only one team could have won this. And because yeah. of the way that England scored, even great Australian teams wouldn't have got anywhere. They just wouldn't have scored quick enough to to put yeah. themselves in a position to win this game. And if and if you think about it, they, they scored the quickest innings in the... the you had, to, you had to go down to, there's one innings quicker than them over 300 runs. Yeah. And that was a game where South Africa was playing against Zimbabwe and clearly wanted a few days off and just absolutely. <laughs> but even then, they only made about 350 or so. Yeah. Um, and that's the only innings in the history of Test cricket over 300 quicker than that. Everything over 400, 500, 600, England has all those records, right? So from that perspective, it's remarkable. And I just, that was my big thing of, what other team would be able to like do this? And there is no other team. It, it really is. They have, they are so different than any cricket team we have ever seen. Even if it doesn't work, it's spectacular. Uh, and I'll tell you what really stood out for me from their batting performance or the, from, from the batting perspective for me from this England performance is the fact that, uh, look, you speak of all those teams that uh, did incredible things in the past. Uh, let let's say Brian Lara winning that match for 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 the West Indies, or Shane Warne bringing Australia back in that game in Adelaide. I think that it, it's the 16th year anniversary today or yesterday of that happening. They were all like like the 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 guys who really turned it around or mm. did something out of the ordinary were modern. I mean, greats of that era and greats of all time. Like, whether it's Vaughan, whether it's... Even you'd look at the Calcutta Test of 2001, it's Lakshman, Dravid, Lara. Uh, we've seen India win a few unwinnable Test matches at times at home. But the fact that the guys who did it for England here with the bat, you're talking about Harry Brook, you're talking about uh, Will Jacks, you're talking about Ben Duckett, who the last time I saw him bat in the subcontinent, had no idea what was happening, which way the ball was going back in 2016. That Crawley. So he comes, Zach Crawley. Who literally averages of... minus against every team who's not Pakistan. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I mean, uh, he. I, I remember him getting that 50 in no time in Ahmedabad a couple of years ago, or last year, uh, and then got out. He just hit a lot of force and boundaries of Aksar Patel and everyone else, and then got out. But... It's these guys who did it for them. I mean, the mm. four centurions you look at. Um, so it was Scrawley, Duckett, Brooke, and oh. and Pope. Yeah, exactly. who also so, uh, also is looks terrible every time he's been in Asia. Absolutely, right? and or, doesn't I play mean, spin that well in county cricket when you watch him play either. Exactly. And so it, I think you're right. That's the other thing, and also it's how many people. So. 
let's say, let's look at the, the Laxman Dravid situation, right? Yeah. Uh, it was two players with one great partnership. And, yeah. you know, you, you can, there's many bizarre situations where we've seen that sort of thing happen. But yeah. in the, as you, have you said, even Will Jack's taking the six wickets and all that sort of stuff, right? It really is this entire package of yeah. players that came together. And if they weren't all attacking, they still wouldn't have got there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you're absolutely right. And and to do it in one innings is great in itself. I mean, to make 600 runs in a, half, a day and a half. But to then be out on the field, at least you can argue that's the first innings, flat pitch, whatever. Mm. But to be on the field then for two and a half days and see the other team play more traditional test cricket, uh, even though Pakistan's scoring rate in comparison to what generally happens around uh, test cricket was still not bad. Mm. And then to come back and score at 7-0 and over just because your captain wants uh, to set up a win, that is remarkable. And then also the fact that they still then had it in them to come back a second innings and bowl Pakistan out, right? I mean, uh, and with Ollie Robinson, again, another one, right? So many question marks about his fitness and is he good enough to be playing at this level with uh, the fact that he keeps breaking down. I remember the criticism from the same English press, the same English, uh, you know, cricket fraternity, how they went after Ollie Robinson last year. Um, but, you know, look at what he do does yesterday. Uh, keeps running in, uh, and and turns the game around after tea. So when you have five or six of these kind of uh, either up-and-coming stars or peripheral cricketers winning you one of the greatest test matches of all time, that tells you again, like we spoke about England and white ball cricket, it's, it's a cultural revolution. Everybody is buying into it. Uh, and 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 that what that's what is like remarkable. Like Harry Brook did it in both innings, of course. Uh, almost got to a hundred in the second innings as well. Um, I really do feel we are, uh, and I put this out on Twitter yesterday. It feels like we have a new format coming up, like the drawless test. If Ben Stokes and Brendan McCullum do believe that they are not going to play for a draw, um, then the onus is always on the other team, right? Like they are. How do they go about it? And it'll be interesting when they come up against in Australia where because it's the Ashes, there might be more at stake. Uh, or There always has this, this feeling that there's more at stake whenever they play against each well, other. I, I think regardless of that, Australia's just a better team, right? So no, not not a better team than England, although probably a better team. But just the, the good teams that they played so far, they played New Zealand, but that was in the flat ball series. Yes. So... You know, it, I remember I, a family friend was at a, a you know at an event saying to me, "You have to believe in baseball." I said, "Well, if I have to believe in baseball, I also have to think that Tom Lathan is suddenly one of the best batters I've ever seen because England <laughs> couldn't get anywhere near to getting him out." So there has to be two sides of this, right? Absolutely. And yeah. then, and then the and you know, so so Australia is going to test them in a way that they haven't been tw tested so far, just because uh, it's probably not going to be flat pitches. The ball is yeah. probably going to be moving around, right? So so I do I I do find that very interesting. Separate to that, though, uh, there's no doubt that there is uh, that because of England's bowling specifically, and maybe this is more so at home, they're not going to be out of that many Test matches anyway. Mm, so yeah. their bowling was already have <laughs> bowling was already having to overcome the fact that their batters couldn't make fifty yeah, between exactly. them, right? Yeah. So in, in some ways, and that's why I, I think that's one of the reasons McCullum took the, the plunge. I, I don't know. I don't know if he could ever say this publicly, but I think yeah. maybe in a couple of years, it'd be great to just get him one on one and just be like, "You did this because 
you thought that batting normally in tests wouldn't work for them, right? I mean, and, yeah. and that's <laughs> a really, really interesting thing from that. Now, how it goes against Australia, as you said, I mean, this was, it, I, we almost need to separate it because on one level you have to say this only happens because it's on one of the flattest pitches we've ever seen. Yes. But then on the other side, you also have to say we've had a lot of flat pitches with inexperienced attacks and yeah. we still haven't had anything like that, right? So yeah, exactly. it, it is a step well above anyone else. I think it was... Um, I think it was a run and over quicker than any team has ever scored over 500. Um, yeah. I think they slowed down at the end, but it was still massively faster yeah. than anyone else. Um, so, yeah, so so from that perspective, I, I, I do think it's incredible. Whether and, and there's a certain point where it doesn't matter if it's going to last or not because it's already better than what they were doing. So, oh. you know, e even, if, even if they'd lost that series against South Africa, it still would have been better uh, than yeah. what they were doing before. Um, the only other thing I want to add is that uh, I thought from a from a spectacle. Did you see much of the last session at all? I did actually. That was the the bit that I watched uh, watched live. Uh, the other stuff, like because either I was traveling or I was covering the other tests, uh, I didn't get to watch uh, a lot of it live. But yeah, I mean that last session was. I mean, baseball or not, that was just classic uh, subcontinental day five test cricket. Uh, you know, it was after a point you realize that Pakistan, after they lost those two wickets to Ollie Robinson, you 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 knew. I mean, it was just about survival. And credit to Nasim Shah and Mohammad Ali. I thought they batted beautifully. Uh, I, I, first time I'm seeing Mohammad Ali uh, do anything on the cricket field. I mean, it was his test debut. But just the, the, the determination in his eyes. I almost mm. feel like if he had faced more deliveries than Nasim Shah, the, Pakistan might well have got got through. Just he just looked in that mode, didn't he? Uh, like he wanted to, he want he was gonna give it his all, and nearly they were they were nearly there. Fifteen more minutes, it was already mm. getting so dark. They might well have, uh, they might well have survived. Uh, in uh, fact, had had England got well, not that it was their fault, but had that ball not been hitting the stumps and that LB yes. been overturned, Pakistan yeah. probably draw just because you could actually see it getting darker yeah. on the faces of the players. And do you remember there was like a Hawkeye loading problem as well? Yeah, um, so yeah, it really could have gone the other way. The only other thing I want to add is that Muhammad Ali's toilet break was absolutely <laughs> perfect. The only better toilet break I've ever seen in Test cricket was when I, I think I have to go back and check my notes, but. Sure, Broad had faced four balls against Sri Lanka once and had a drinks break. When they were trying to um, right. draw a match, he went off. So it was funny watching England fans absolutely go crazy at a tactic that their own uh, team had done before. But um, yeah, that was it was remarkable. I really enjoyed that last hour. Um, I put a video up on YouTube if anyone wants to have a look at it. But it was, it was a beautiful, uh, fascinating uh, little bit. Anyway, after the break, we will come back and we'll talk a little bit about Australia and the West Indies. You're listening to Uncovered with Jared Kimber and Barrett Sundarason. Uh, Australia West did this. So I saw I saw bits and pieces of this. The England innings probably swept me away from it. Mm. Uh, my my thought was, and it'd be interesting to see because you you were watching a lot more of it than I was. But my thought was that West Indies really batted better than I've seen them bat yeah. in quite some time. Now it was a flat pitch, so maybe that played more of a part than than we thought. But the interesting thing for me was. Second innings, maybe not quite as much, but a little bit. But the first inning specifically, there was just so many runs from so many players. And I think that more mm. often than not, when, you know, of recent times when we've seen West Indies play good, it's been like one guy, like Brathwaite, you can't get him out. Or Nkrumah yeah. Bonner, you can't get him out. You know, or Blackwood has a Blackwood day. You know, those sorts yeah. of things. It just felt like everyone was chipping in in that first innings. And you know what? It wasn't a flat pitch. I think people will look at this scorecard uh, 
in a few months time or even while the game was going on and 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 those who don't watch the game as closely as you and I do uh will tell you oh yeah it was a flat pitch only four wickets fell in in the first two days but honestly it wasn't it was one of those bizarre test matches where more wickets should have fallen uh the ball beat bat a lot maybe it had something to do with the lengths that that were being bowled and every time australia especially bowled fuller they got a lot of wickets uh it, the way when the collapse happened in the first innings for the west indies it was when australia came back after uh i think a lunch break and uh, started bowling a lot fuller and like they got four or five wickets on the trot so it it was one of those things where i think the batting was just really really good from both both teams uh west indies were off color with the ball in the first innings they started off really well in the first session i thought craig brathwaite's captaincy was was bizarre i mean he overbowled roston chase a lot he bowled four overs before lunch jared no, no. Uh, on day 1 in western australia exactly yeah in perth in australia when his fast bowlers had done a remarkable job and he had at that point uh five options that he could have gone to which he did but he still stuck to roston chase in four overs for 23 runs in that first session kind of just took the game away from uh west indies and australia just piled it on but honestly manas labushain you know riding his luck once again like roston chase said maybe as a genie in his pocket um you know the the edge during the second innings if there was a third slip and there had been a third slip for pretty much the entirety of the Australian innings till that point, so he could have been caught. There were there were so many opportunities for this test to have been a four day test uh, on both ends, but it was just one of those things where you know they survived and everyone who survived made the most of it. Whether it was the whether it was Manus or the West Indian batter, I mean Steve Smith was the only one who just came out and played like a dream from start to finish mm. in the first innings, and then even the little bit of him we saw in the second innings. Uh, everyone else had to really dig in uh and it was classic old school test match cricket um and that's why I, th- i think it was fascinating to watch the two test matches play out one on this flat pitch where england really had to do something out out of the box to produce a result whereas the other test was more about just hanging in there and backing the pitch to do what it was supposed to do and what it looked like it was going to do uh and you know it was it was good like it's good contrast uh, that they they happened simultaneously at the same time and um i thought uh, you're right west indies like craig brathwaite i was really impressed with the fact that they've come here with very simple simple uh, goals to achieve they're not they, uh, yeah i mean they would love to win but they're not focusing on like oh no we're going to beat australia it's very simple i want my team to bat 100 overs in both innings so they bat 98 overs in the first innings and uh, well over 100 overs in the second innings so boxes ticked right they wanted um, their guys to show fight they oh tejan ranchander paul on debut mm. uh batted beautifully i mean the way he handled the short ball uh, the the way he he was leaving the ball it was just you know uh, and again he's not a little kid right he's 26 he's played 10 almost 9 years of first class cricket he's had his ups and downs in first class cricket as well so it all came through in that in that knock even though people kept making obvious comparisons to shivnarayan chandrapal but i think it was more about the grounding he's had in first class cricket that came through uh, and, and yeah i mean if inkruma bonner doesn't get concussed in the first innings he was looking very solid as well maybe west indies get a few more runs i think the only difference between australia and west indies in terms of batting was 
they never had that period where suddenly a lot of boundaries came and you know they went past 300 in the first innings if they'd gone past 300 in the first innings you never know maybe they might have even saved the game the way they batted mm. in that second day uh, and a lot of them showed that that grit black blackwood did like you know it was uh, uh, when he batted in the second innings I, i was on commentary with ian bishop we were like oh this is like somewhere in between the old blackwood and the new blackwood you know he was he was he wanted to break free but he wasn't and it was interesting and roston chase who we've seen him do it before at number 5 Uh, to him uh, for him to come down at number 8 and kind of redeem his test career with another gritty half century it was yeah i mean nobody expected the west indian batting to be the talking point after mm. you know in the lead up to the test it was all about young fast bowlers and all of that uh, but yeah i thought it was a very creditable performance from west indies and it's also a kind of performance that australian cricket needed from them to kick off their test summer so that at least a lot of the focus start shifting towards towards the cricket and all the off field dramas like you know it, it's already feels like it's in the past mm no no, no i agree uh, i thought it was interesting that roston chase made a 50 at the wacker because traditionally he's been horrendous against pace bowling uh mm. when when he bats so uh, good on him for uh, and blackwood for trying to fix the It's not that West Indies don't have talented players but they're just not as rounded as some other players yeah. at sometimes and you just like so watching two of their players develop a little bit is is very important. The other one of course is Steve Smith which I think is worth mentioning. So I think before the test I got in touch with Trent Woodhill and said oh it must be during the one days and I said look obviously yeah. he's batting differently what's happened. Yeah, yeah. And I think Trent is Trent with the Australian team at the moment or was he just working with Steve Smith? No, no, no. He was with the Australian team yeah. during the uh, the three ODIs. That's what it was. So that must yeah. have been when I sent him the message, and he's and I and I just sort of said, you know, is this you uh, as his former batting coach going to him and saying do this? And, and apparently Smith came to him and said, look, I've got all these theories, um, yeah. and uh, you know, I'd be really interested to see how uh, you know if you could help me get them out. And um, obviously, it's worked. He he just looks mm. so much better, and it, it's funny. he was at that level of hero status that even in a way that Williamson and Coley got flack smith never really got the flack that yeah. his form probably deserved and yeah. and you know so i did a video basically saying look look this is how people are getting him out i don't i don't know what's happening i kind of always back someone like smith only because of the fact that he would go to so, so i won't name any players but there was another player not that long ago very well respected international player who's having problems and i know people involved with him were trying to have the conversation of yeah this isn't working what should we do and yeah. and and that's fine and he, and he didn't listen to it and he didn't get any better right that's not what i would expect from steve smith just because steve smith is there's something of the the trying to get the craft right you know mm. of always tinkering yeah. with you know under the hood and everything else so i i thought it was really fascinating um you know i know the the obvious thing is just the the stance which is uh you know slightly more um square on than uh, sorry or straight side, on, side on than it was before um but but the bat path looks a little bit different to me as well he seems to have ac- accessed the offside in a way that we haven't seen since maybe he was in peak form but but that is why and this is a really interesting one there there's especially now you've got you know Coley and Rohit and Williamson and you, they've mm. got those fanboys that you I mean, you can't even mention one of those players online without like a million like Ronaldo LeBron yeah. fans coming at you right and it's so boring but and then you've got the other people who are just like oh well he's a champion he, you know he'll work it out and you're like well that's what they said about Ricky Ponting and if you read Ricky Ponting's book he's like I should have retired two years earlier right yeah. and so 
it's not an inevitable, but I do think specifically with a player like Smith, who thinks so differently and and has his own methods, he's not just batting in a normal way that it actually probably helps him when he goes through a stint like that for him to be able to go, okay, well, now I can restrip this and build it back up again. And this might be, for all we know, this could be Smith Volume 3 or Volume 4 at this point. And, and I, so I do find that really interesting um, in the way that he's being able to fix his batting when other people probably wouldn't have seen that as something that, you know, I, he probably could have gone on for an extra year before there were any questions about his form overall, I would have thought. No, I mean, uh, and I've been privy to uh, watch and understand Steve Smith batting than most others in the last four or five years, and I've seen I've seen the transformation when he went from the Steve Smith of what you know before the whole sandpaper gate thing, and, and this I'm talking only about his batting, not his captaincy or any off-field stuff, but the way he was batting between 2014, 15 to 2017, which is where he wanted to go back to. Uh, in in you know with his technique and which he actually started working on it in Sri Lanka. I remember interviewing him before the Test series started, and I saw him uh, change his back and across movement or cut it down uh, when he used to be in the nets during the One Day series. I think the second half of the One Day series, Steve Smith did not play, and that's when I kind of got to Sri Lanka. So at the Premadasa, while the One Dayer was going on, um, Steve Smith was was in the nets, and I was always around him, just trying to figure out what was happening, and also playing umpire as always. But um, that's where he started, you know, working on it. And in that interview, which is still out there uh, on Greg Buzz, uh, before the first test, he spoke about. Uh, and it was a nice interview. Like you know, uh, I, I felt quite justified that you know, historically Steve Smith's not someone who opens up about his batting, and even if you say something that he agrees with, he will not say I agree with you. But there were a few points during that interview where I also felt like I've kind of you know reached a, a, a breached a barrier, like where like you know there is some mutual respect when it comes to his batting, where I asked him a few uh, very direct questions about you know how much it's uh, the a, a the arrival of man is the fact that he has to wait a longer uh, for a longer time to walk out to bat and also as a result often he's walking out to or he's walked out to bat where the tempo of the innings is already set and steve smith is generally at his best when he can set the tempo and then he dictates terms uh, uh, it's not always about the opposition it's also about what's happening with the australian innings but that wasn't happening and more than anything i think what it all started with New Zealand in 2019. It's not that Steve Smith has not been scoring runs. No. Right? Yes, I mean, by Steve Smith's standards, the average has dropped. He's not ma making hundreds. And I think it, it all starts with New Zealand at, at the same venue, at Perth Stadium, where Neil Wagner comes and starts bowling around the wicket. Also, this is um, his first home summer since, you know, the, the one-year suspension. He scores all, all those runs in the ashes. Comes back and suddenly there's all this focus on him. And what New Zealand started doing was not really getting him out cheaply, but completely shutting off uh, a major chunk of his scoring area, which is basically him just tucking it around the corner and getting off strike. Uh, it wasn't so much about the boundaries that he was scoring. So why by Neil Wagner in particular coming around the wicket and targeting his armpit chest area and them having kind of two guys behind square uh, to block off that single, um, he was just made to really work harder and harder and harder to score runs. So while that is happening, Ravi Shastri and Bharat Arun are studying Steve Smith because they have to face in uh, Australia the next year. And they are like, okay, we have faster bowlers, more skillful bowlers in many ways than New Zealand do for those pitches. 
um, and they strategize this whole thing where they decide that if Steve Smith has to make 100 against us, we'll make sure he faces at least 350-400 balls. So completely cut off that, that tempo, the momentum of his innings. And so Steve Smith went from being a free-scoring batter to who would score freely through manipulating the field and would pull a lot in front of the front of square, which he stopped doing because he, he just went further and further and further front on yeah. to kind of combat that 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 angle that was coming at him. And I think it went from being and I put this question to him and he agreed, went from being how do I score runs to how do I thwart their plans of getting me out? Right. And what that's a mindset change. So he's focusing more on like, okay, I mean, that's that's that batting ego as well, right? Like, I'll see how you get me out. And in a way, that's exactly what India and New Zealand and everyone else who played after uh, Neil Wagner's spell to him in Perth wanted of him. And then he said that uh, the moment he realized that it had become such a part of his batting, it is, his mindset had changed was in Pakistan on those flatties, as they as the Australians love to call them, where he felt that there were times, even against the spinners, where he could like got going a lot sooner and hit a few more runs. But he wasn't because he was in that mindset still of, you know, he'd become so used to almost batting time to get to his runs that he wasn't being the Steve Smith of old. And I think that's what he wanted to change. He wanted to get more on top of uh, the bowlers than, you know, the other way around. And I think that kind of just switched him back into what was working for him in 2014-15. I mean, that is the greatness of someone like Steve Smith. You can't average 60 in test cricket without having that ability to kind of identify what is happening with your batting, kind of tap back into what was working for you and be able to go back to that, even though you're, what, five, six years older than, or longer, seven, eight years older than what you were when when, when you were peaking. And there's this uh, cute little incident from uh, the day before the test, Jared. So David Warner was batting in there. And now David Warner's become a batting nuffy as well, self-confessed. He bats a lot more than he used to. So Warner's already in the net. Uh, Manas comes and joins him. So... Uh, uh, you know, uh, Warner's already giving Manus a lot of grief, like always. And then Steve Smith starts walking into the net. And this is when he's still, like, trying to figure out whether his hip is uh, bothering him or not. As he's walking in, David Warner just looks at him and says, uh, 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 I mean, uh, expletive me. Uh, look at us batting nuffies. Here we are batting, uh, like, you know, R on end the day before a test match. Uh, ha -ha. And, and he says that for effect. And... Steve Smith hears him and he's just walking into the net. He almost, Steve Smith almost looks like someone's wronged him. Someone's wronged his principles in life. So he looks at me and says, we're just trying to get better, mate, aren't we? And like, you know, so I had to kind of say, yeah, you're fine. You're fine, Steve. You're, you're, don't worry about what he's saying. Like, you know, you just, <laughs> you just stick to what you're doing. So, but that's the thing. I mean, he wants to get better all the time. And, and he is, I mean, it's an ominous sign for uh, every bowling attack this summer and also, you know, leading into the India tour and the Ashes. Yeah, be interesting to see how it goes. That leg side thing by uh, Wagner, though, if you go back and look at my video, you realize that that actually happened well before. So New Zealand yeah. had got him out a couple of times down the leg side, and yeah. England had as well. So it's really interesting that I remember having a talk with Herschel Gibbs about it on Twitter randomly. Herschel Gibbs um, said he would just bowl a leg stump Yorker to um, Steve Smith every ball. This is one day cricket. And I was like, I've seen teams try yeah. that. And the reason they wouldn't keep doing it is because it was giving boundaries away. And eventually teams got to the point yes. where they were like, well, it doesn't matter about boundaries anymore. If he's going to take a risk to score a boundary, that's fine. But the whole thing is really, really interesting. Anyway, we'll take a break there. 
Uh, and after the break, we'll talk a little bit about... I, will, I, I might quickly uh, mention India versus Bangladesh, because uh, that was a game. Um, and then you can talk about Pat Cummins, the captain, on Uncovered Podcast. Welcome back to the Uncovered Podcast, Jared Kimber and Barat Sundarayson. Um, that, uh, for those who haven't uh, seen it, it was absolutely spectacular. I was, I, what day was it? Was it Sunday? Month? Tuesday? Whatever it was. When India were playing Bangladesh, and I was like, oh, it's one day. I, I had a look at the score, and India had made 180-odd. And I was like, I actually thought it was Bangladesh originally. I, had, I didn't even look at the yeah. score close enough to worry about it. <laughs> and then about an hour later, I'm having a look, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, Bangladesh are actually chasing, so this could be slightly more interesting. Then they got to nine wickets down. I was like, well, I'll close that tab. <laughs> <laughs> and then they just inched their way. It was an incredible last week of partnership. So um, it was one of those, and, and this is the, thing we were talking about with the one day is last week it's a bilateral one day that is absolutely going to be forgotten about but it was a cracking little contest right and you know it just sometimes needs to be watched but uh for, for those of you who didn't have a look it was um Mehdi hassan the off spinner mm. i suppose uh, he's not an all-rounder but he's like an off spinner who can bat uh, hold a bat yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah, yeah. and mustafizer yeah. at the other end uh, I think there was K.O. Rowell dropped a catch and uh, I think there was another uh, stuff up towards the end as well. So a bit like what happened with England. It's funny, isn't it? Oli Pope uh, completely missed the catch of Nassim Shah as well, but because England yeah. win, it doesn't matter. Whereas K.O. Rowell's oh. drop is apparently far worse because they lost. But um, uh, you want to talk about Pat Cummins, the captain, a little bit. Uh, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because his captaincy was scrutinized more before he got the job than most people just because he's a bowler, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, and, absolutely. and I suppose the situation he was taking over from and the whole Tim Payne thing and the fact that, yeah, let's be honest, if Australia had a batter, uh, they would have picked a batter. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, if Travis Head's career, um, <laughs> is, right, is already... Travis Head vice captain? Have we had this conversation again recently? Uh, no, he's not back to vice captaining, but uh, he might be. You say soon. that. When was he officially demoted? I've seen no official demotion notice. Uh, no, I think if you remember him and uh, Josh Hazelwood had custody of the baby together uh, for a while. Uh, they were co-vice captains. And at one point, I think Travis Head was just kind of, uh, I mean, Josh Hazelwood got complete custody of the baby. And then once, so this is when Tim Payne was still captain. And at one point when um, Pat Cummins became captain, if you remember, he said, I'll be captain only if Steve Smith yeah. is my vice captain. So, and that's also around the time, I think around the time uh, of the 2019 Ashes towards the end when Travis had lost his place in the side for the Oval Test, might have been the time when, like, you know, so because once this, the next summer starts, the same test match against, uh, oh no, actually they played against Pakistan before New Zealand. Uh, Travis Head was no longer vice captain. The you know no, Josh Hazel. He was just you know. no longer at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so maybe maybe he'll go back to getting that role someday. Uh, uh, he started his summer quite well again. Mm. But yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's interesting. Pat Cummins, the captain, because uh, there's been so many off-field issues that have happened just before and you know ever since he's become captain that you've not got the opportunity to actually push those aside and just focus on how he's gone about his captaincy. And um, I think uh, I wrote a piece where I said, you know, it's actually so it's so easy to admire and adore Pat Cummins, the bowler, right? I mean, he bowls all these dream deliveries, the one to Craig Brathwaite on a, uh, in, in conditions or like in, in, in circumstances where the, where you felt that you didn't know where the next wicket was going to come. Mm -hmm. 
uh, he he bowls that ball, uh, and he does. I mean, the Joe Root ball will get played over and over. I think it could well be the most watched replay in Australian sports history for a while. Now that the Socceroos have um, uh, have been knocked out, uh, and well, yeah, what scenes for that? We should spend an entire episode just talking about them one day. Um, but um, the, Pat Cummins, the captain, is really growing on me. I mean, how he goes about like a tumor uh, or in a good way. In a, in a in a very good way, like in a quiet taste, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's it, it and, and I go back to Pakistan, how he captained the side in Pakistan. He kept saying fifteen day test, and he stuck to it till the end. And for them to win that fifteen day test in the last session, where again it was Pat Cummins who came and turned things around in that middle session with the cotton ball of Azhar Ali, when at one point Australia Pakistan looked like they might close in on victory. Um, and, and and just uh, how much he learned from that. Uh, you know, Sri Lanka was a different kind of test where he didn't have to rely too much on himself. The way he used the spinners, I thought he was super impressive in the way he used Mitchell Swepson. Uh, he had only uh, in Sri Lanka, he had a slip and at times a silly point or a short leg. Where what he was trying to do is kind of limit Mitchell Swepson's wicket-taking options in a good way, like to get him to be more consistent. And and often, like, you know, you throw a young spinner in, into uh, the subcontinent or on a turning pitch and you give him or her too many options, like, it is confusing, right? But I think he he got the captaincy with Mitchell Swepson right as compared to Pakistan. And even in this game, I think they've just, Australia just seem a calmer, less desperate team whenever there are partnerships. Like, you know, uh, uh, Tim Payne, and I, I, I love Tim Payne, but I think there were times during his captaincy where they did get desperate against India. Like, you know, where you would see the random DRS or uh, forced bowling changes and you could see the body language look different when there was a big partnership. We saw it, uh, especially against that India, or in that India series a lot. But with Pat Cummins, that his captaincy seems to be a lot like his bowling, where he just bowls so many balls in the good spot. I mean, as skillful as he is, like a great Curtly, I'm like, Ian Bishop has been saying this a lot on the last week or so on commentary and just in our chats on the sidelines. But like people talk about Curtly Ambrose as being this fiery, like fearsome fast bowler. But his success didn't come because of that. His success came because he was never he never left that spot, mm. right? On on a length and offset. That was his greatness. And Ian Bishop was like, I would admire watching him from final. Again, you know, I bumped into Mark Taylor, who's doing triple M commentary. And he said the same. He was like, the thing was, he never bowled a driving ball. Like, you know, he always was on that length. And he was like, Curtly just pitch one up to me one time at least, but he never did. And I think it's like the um the pitch map that we saw from the uh, the India series where he wasn't yeah. cut once, right? Because he wasn't yeah, wide exactly. enough. So yeah, I, I think I think you're right. The interesting thing with Curtly compared to Cummins, and they're slightly different bowlers, but yeah, I don't know if I've told you this story before, but uh, the England bowlers, Andy Caddick had this theory that Curtly could bowl an off cutter or a leg cutter at at will, right? And uh, Angus Fraser, I think it was Angus Fraser, said he can't. He's just coming in and hitting hitting the seam. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That one thing I would say about, and, and that's sorry, I should say that that's what Curtly Ambrose said. Curtly Ambrose is like, no, I'm, I'm just running in, trying to hit a spot, and sometimes yeah. it'll go this way, and sometimes it'll go that way. Cummins does have more skills than that, and I know some For of sure. that is that all bowlers have more skills now than they did. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of it is probably seeing close-ups of, you know, Muhammad Asif and, and Glenn McGrath and Stuart Clark and yeah, Vernon yeah. Philander and all that sort of stuff. That must play a big part in it. But I do think bowlers Absolutely. have more skills. And you look at Cummins, one of the things I find so interesting is that he is really accurate and he's a lot faster than Curly Ambrose was, of course. Yeah. Although he slowed down a little bit of recent times. But it's that 
ability to be a swing bowler or a wobble ball bowler or a, or a bouncer enforcer bowler or, or a line yeah. and length ball. It, it really is remarkable to have that many different skills in one particular bowler. Yeah, and, and uh, to compare his bowling and his captaincy, he does have so many options as bowling captain as well, right? I mean, he's got the the swing and uh, now the control of Mitchell Stark. I mean, Mitchell Stark, the test bowler, is again, we could do an entire episode on him someday. Uh, and then he has the relentlessness of Josh Hazelwood. And I think he ha also has a Nathan Lyon who now I think has fed off a lot or or a lot of Pat Cummins, the captain, has rubbed off on Nathan Lyon, where um, he just seems to be able to back his plans a lot more uh, and and kind of stick with it to to the end. And like you know, in I've, I saw him in Karachi looking very despondent when he couldn't bowl Australia to victory, and. It could have, like, you know, Nathan Lyon in the past, maybe it could have broken him. It could have had a big effect on him in Lahore. But in Lahore on day five till T, he, you could see, uh, I, I kept looking at him at the boundary. He was sort of slipping back into that desperation mode, but he almost shook it off and he stuck to it. And, and you know, he takes five wickets in Australia in that famous test. He did it again here. Mm. I mean, I don't think he bowled his best. But it did not mean that, like, you know, even though when at uh, that point when Alzari Joseph and Rostin Chase started hitting him around, he didn't change his line. He kept bowling outside of them. The Nathan Lyon of old or Nathan Lyon during large parts of his career would have, even though it's Rostin Chase and Alzari Joseph, would have immediately shifted his line to more off and middle. But he did not do that. Uh, I thought, um, and it has a lot to do with Pat Cummins because that's how he uses his options as well. Uh, and Cam Green has been a huge boost, a huge addition to, you know, the Australian bowling arsenal. And Pat Cummins is lucky to have someone like him. But even the way he uses his bowler, sets his plans, is a lot like his bowling. He backs himself so much. And, and I asked him this as well. And he said that it's about that word he used a lot was composure. I think they're a more composed team with Pat Cummins, not just because of his personality, but uh, I guess because he gets so much success uh, by being composed as a bowler, I think it kind of then uh, reflects or kind of uh, adds on to him being composed and backing himself as a captain. He, he just for me, he's incredibly level. Um, I remember interviewing mm. him when he was, I don't know, nineteen or twenty, and he, you know, he was in the middle of his first big injury problem. Yeah, and you know, he was even at that point, it was very clear that this was a player. Who uh, most you know what it's like? Most cricketers, if you interview them at nineteen or twenty, you're not getting it. I mean, I still remember James Taylor literally saying to me, "Can you just put down I don't know something that will make me sound interesting, right?" Because he couldn't <laughs> think of anything. He, did, he, yeah, he was nineteen, yeah. right? And but yeah, that wasn't yeah. the case with Cummins. I think the interview I did with Cummins was like an hour long, right? It was like an intense, yeah. like for for a kid, for a player of that age, to have an hour's worth of stuff to say is is quite interesting on its yeah. own. Um, and you do look at it; he's just. I, I'm not sure he's ever going to be a great tactical captain, which is, I think, what yeah. he'll eventually be hit with. Um, I, but I do think his teammates like playing for him. And I think one of the reasons is, and I this is really important in the post-Langer era, is that that team was crying out for someone who would un, who would listen and understand. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and, you know, Langer does have a lot of good strengths as a coach. Uh, I, I'm obviously not a huge fan of, of a lot of what he's done, but he does have a lot of good strengths. But Langer just doesn't really hear what people say. And he goes up and yeah. down, of course, because he's an emotional person. He, you know, Cummins is the complete opposite of that. And in some yeah. ways, this is going to sound like it's a slight, but I don't mean it in this way, but he's the perfect caretaker captain because yeah. he's never going to get too carried away with leadership in the way that somebody like 
Michael Clark started seeing himself as yeah. a leader and, and all that sort of. Well, is it, what, who was that media manager from India who got his own um, Blazer meetup? Um, you know, a, a decade ago, uh, 2012 tour of Australia. You, you know, with some, I I used to work yeah, at Qantas, yeah. and there was like, and we we used to do call outs for for clients when there was something wrong with the planes uh, or, you know, there was a delay or whatever it was. And there was like a particular job title that everyone got that was called Q's captain. It didn't pay any more money, right, but, it, but it came with a modicum of like per power because you could pick who made those calls. And oh. you could, the, mi the minute you could just see it, these people exploding with that. Yeah, Cummins is not yeah. that kind of person. And you see no. that sometimes with captains. You know, you do see some that just sort of, oh, great, I'm in sure. charge now. Here's my in charge persona. So I, I, yeah. I can see from that perspective of, you know, and coming out of the Langer-Lehman era where you, there was very, Australian cricket was very voice of God, right? Yeah. You know, uh, you know what, what, uh, hit, the, hit the bog cunt or whatever, they, uh, whatever Lehman's um, thing was. It's very different now. And, and Cummins is a perfect example of, you could, I think you could go to Cummins as a player with a variety of issues and he would listen to you and talk yeah. to you and he wouldn't say, absolutely. just need to hit the nets and try harder. Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. He's so much uh, more well-rounded as, as an Australian cricketer. I mean, forget captain, uh, than, than many that I've encountered over the years. And, and it kind of shows in not just what he stands for. like And, and again, he's, there's some genuineness to it. He, you can make out that he's not just saying stuff, whether it's about Alinta or whether it's about uh, how much, how impacted he was well, while we were in Sri Lanka by just the economic crisis. And it's genuine. And, and it's like, you know, you can't make that up. So I think that's what uh, really stands out for me with Pat Cummins. And yeah, I mean, he's one of those captains uh, as a result who... Uh, kind of has a has a more rounded perspective on on winning and losing and what they're doing and what they stand for uh so i'm really like like i said earlier he's growing on me in a very good way uh and uh, i look forward to seeing him um on more challenging tours like like india and and and, and england but starting with india where uh, you know uh, the conditions might not always be uh, what what Australia wanted to be. And uh, yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of people in Indian cricket who felt like uh, they were hard done by despite their tour to Australia having come in the midst of uh, like uh, the proper pandemic prime, I, I would call it. Uh, but they still felt like, you know, Cricket Australia didn't uh, or um, intentionally made life more difficult for them than needed to be. So I I'll be interested to see what happens when Australia go there. So that'll be the big test for Pat Cummins, the captain. But I just have a feeling he'll come through that as well. All right, mate. Uh, great talking to you again. And I will talk to you again next week. Indeed. Thanks for listening to 99.94 Network Cricket every day. Remember to download our app or just search for your favorite team at 99.94 where you find podcasts on Google or YouTube. This show has an ad-free version via Patreon and there are many other extras available there as well. There is a link to the show notes. The show is hosted by me, Jared Kimber. Barrett Sundaresan is my co-host. It is produced by Nick McCorriston. We also have a great production team from 42 with Rati Joshi on socials, Orajoti, Senapayi, and Maida Akam producing podcasts. And Makunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube account. <laughs>